Coming up on this week's show, Charlie David joins us to talk about his new TV series, Shadowlands. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome, everyone, to episode 140 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from JeffAdamsWrites.com. And I'm Will from WillKanaus.com. This week's episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable group of supporters on Patreon. Big thank you to Layla. She joined us this week. We'll have more information on how you can join Layla and all of the rest of the super cool peeps (laughs) uh, in just a few moments. Uh, welcome everyone back. Another week, another brand new episode. We hope everyone had a fantastic, um, I hope, I hope life hasn't gotten you down. I hope <laughs> that you've had a wonderful seven days since we've talked to you last. Uh, how about you, sir? How was your last seven days? Last seven days were busy. June's turning out to be a very busy month. Uh, got some more writing done. I continue to be Unbroken in my days of writing at least one sprint. So I think I'm at, uh, I think it's like 21. A million billion words. I wish it was a million billion (laughs) words. (laughs) Writing this book forever. (laughs) It does feel that way. Uh, But yeah, the writing continued. I traveled the day this week, which means I got to listen to some audiobooks, which I'm very, very happy about, some of which we'll talk about this week. Yeah. How's your week been going? You've been revising, so. Yes, I have. You've 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 been doing your own thing. Hmm? And just a real quick update on some of the fantastic listeners who have won some of our recent giveaways. Mm-hmm. Uh, congrats to Katie. She won the Champions of Desire prize package from Krista Tomlinson. Congratulations, Katie. The Codename Winger series celebrates Pride Month with a limited time sale. Throughout the month of June, the first book, Tracker Hacker is just 99 cents at all online retailers. It's the perfect chance to begin the adventures of Theo Reese, high school student, hockey player, computer genius, and covert agent who goes by the codename Winger. The second thrilling installment, Schooled, is also available and coming this fall, Audio Assault continues Theo's high-tech missions. Love Bites Reviews says Jeff Adams has a brilliant writing style for YA that draws you in. Add the Codename Winger series to your Pride Month reading list before the sales ends on June 30th. Get more information at CodenameWinger.com. So there's been some super good stuff on TV and Netflix recently. We want to kick off talking about the new show that's on FX Sundays at 9, which is Pose. Mm-hmm. Tell us all about Pose. Well, Pose is the newest show from creator Ryan Murphy. Uh, it seems like every other week he's premiering something <laughs> brand new on FX. Um, super quickly, uh, there are things that Ryan Murphy has done that I have loved and things of his that I have hated. Um I don't think he cares either way because he has taken his success and he has parlayed it into telling uh, lots of stories that he is obviously very passionate about. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like I said, if you know, if you encounter something that you don't like of his, um, just wait another week or so (laughs) because something brand new is obviously going to be coming down the pike. Um, 
as we mentioned, Pose premiered this past week on FX. Uh, he also is producing the revival of Boys in the Band on Broadway, and that opened recently as well. <laughs> uh, busy, busy guy. Um, so quickly about Pose. Pose is a scripted series, and it is essentially um, the classic documentary Paris is Burning uh, brought to life. Um, in the premiere episode, uh, we were introduced to essentially our three main characters. It's an ensemble drama uh, centering around uh, ballroom life in uh, 80s New York. Uh, our first uh, character is Blanca. Uh, she is a member of the House of Abundance, uh, but doesn't feel like her voice is being heard. So she essentially quits and gets her own place and starts her own house. She's going to be the new house mother, the House of Evangelista. Uh, her best friend, Angel, uh, played by India Moore, uh, is um, uh, uh, joins her. She was also... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I had a, a brain fade for just a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 so Angel joins Blanca, and uh, they sort of form the... Uh, basis of the, the new house. Uh, one afternoon, Blanca uh, sees Damon dancing uh, in Washington Square Park, and she says, "Yeah, you got some good moves. Why don't you join my brand new house that I'm starting?" Uh, <laughs> um, and Damon has recently been kicked out of his house, uh, and he's been living on the streets. Uh, so he joins Blanca and goes one night to a ball to discover what the life is really like. Uh, and so together they form an unconventional family, mm -hmm. uh, and that's sort of the basis for the show. Yeah, I really enjoy that first episode. Uh, I like this family that's being uh, drawn together. Uh, the look at ball life uh, is pretty awesome. Uh, you're right, it is very much Paris is Burning, uh, kind of fictionalized uh, in, a, in a cool way. Uh and they're doing an amazing portrayal of 80s New York, obviously shooting in present New York and keeping their cameras like very tight in certain areas <laughs> to make sure you don't see stuff you're not supposed to that doesn't exist. Uh, the part of the show that you didn't mention is that there's also a look at uh, the rich folks, and it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of plays into it. You've got a young executive who's actually working for uh, Donald Trump's organization, who has fallen for uh, this... Uh, for Angel. For Angel, uh, and finds her on the streets. And it's uh, they're kind of drawn together, but he's married, so it's going to be interesting to see where that kind of goes. And I was also interested to read this week that James Vanderbeek, who is also he's a very high-ranking Trump executive in this show, was originally supposed to play Donald Trump, uh, but they rewrote that when, they, when the election happened. So, yeah, I, I love Pose, and it's... Uh, Eight episodes running on FX Sundays at 9 and also can be picked up online at yeah. fx.com. Yeah. I I literally, I loved everything about this show. Mm -hmm. uh, the premiere was phenomenal. I uh, highly recommend you check it out if you haven't done it yet. Uh, I want to quickly mention uh, Blanca is played by MJ Rodriguez. Um, she is everything. I <laughs> love her to pieces. Um, uh, as, as a... As a new mother of a brand new house, I think she's, um, 
as a character, uh, we sympathize and empathize with her mm-hmm. as she's um, striking out on her own uh, and trying to build something for herself. Um, also, I think what was really wonderful about this uh, premiere episode is not only are we introduced to all of the main characters, but we are immediately drawn into their world and we are immediately empathetic of them because they're all um, they're all dealing with uh, incredibly difficult circumstances living uh, in New York in 1987, uh, but they're all striving something. They're all working towards something mm-hmm. better. Uh, so I loved all the characters. I loved the show to pieces, and I cannot wait for the rest of the season. Yeah, and we should mention too that this is a landmark series for a couple reasons. It's got the largest transgender cast ever for a show, and it's also got a significant uh, LGBTQ cast in its supporting characters as well. So what you're seeing here is not just uh, people portraying, these are actual actors who are trans and LGBTQ, which is awesome. Good yeah. job, Ryan. Uh, moving on to something else that premiered this past week, Alex Strangelove is a film that was recently premiered on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, uh, <laughs> I think they acquired this film because it was made specifically for if you liked uh, uh, Love, Simon, you'll love Alex Strangelove. Yes, indeed. Because um, that's essentially what it is. Uh, it is the story of the title character, Alex. He is portrayed by uh, Daniel Doheny. He's uh, adorable, uh, super cute. Uh, he is your nice, normal, average, everyday uh, guy in high school. Uh, he's got a adorable girlfriend that he loves very, very much. And um, the... The the dramatic focus of this teen coming of age, coming out drama is that Alex has a lot of anxiety about uh, losing his virginity. And specifically uh, when he and Claire decide to uh, finally uh, uh, hook up. Uh, <laughs> I was going to go with do the deed, but hookup works too. Um, so, yeah, the, the dramatic focus is uh, moving towards this one specific moment in, in the story. Uh, meanwhile, before they get to that moment, Alex meets a guy named uh, Elliot at a uh, party that, you know, only happened in the movies. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of those, you know, teenage parties. Um, anyway, and, and he's drawn to this, uh, uh, enigmatic, handsome guy. Uh, so he has to kind of wrap his mind around what his feelings for Claire are and what his feelings for Elliot are. And that's essentially, uh, what the movie, um, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's it in a nutshell. Um, everybody in this movie is so endearing. Alex has really tight friends, uh, very much in line, as you noted, with uh, Love, Simon. Simon had his band of friends. Alex has his band of, of kooky, quirky friends. Um, I thought this film was really well done. It's actually produced by Ben Stiller, uh, which I think kind of leads you to the idea that maybe it was going to be a bigger release at some point, but now is on Netflix. Uh, but definitely, if you liked Love, Simon, you will also like Alex Strangelove. Uh, it's well acted. It's got a nice script. It is a different story than Simon because obviously Alex isn't forced out, but he kind of comes to terms 
with what he's always known, but he's finally open to that being his truth rather than something he needs to kind of put away and tuck away and kind of ignore in his life. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So you've been busy reading and listening, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, you've got some books to tell us about this week. I do. I have went headfirst into the Layla Rainey series. That's a- Agents Rain. I... Rain. 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 Sorry, Layla. Sorry. Uh, the Irish and Whiskey series. Agents Irish and Whiskey series. Uh, I blew right through the first two books, Single Malt and Cask Strength, which is not easy to say. Um, these books revolve around two FBI agents. Uh, Aiden Talley, as we meet him, uh, lost both his partner and his husband eight months previously in a car accident that uh, doesn't look to be uh, as a buttoned-up case as it once was. Uh, as he comes back to work, he's partnered with Jameson Walker, who's a former college basketball star who quit the game after an injury, quit it rather unexpectedly, but is now a top agent uh, working in the cyber division uh, for the FBI in San Francisco. Um, these two are attracted to each other pretty immediately. Jameson has been uh, behind the scenes kind of lusting after Aiden for the three years that he's been in the Bureau. Um, Aiden, though, isn't quite ready to perhaps form a new uh, relationship because of, of losing his husband just not that long ago. Uh, but their first case takes them out of town and they're going to Texas because there are people who are trying to uh, break into a, a, a bio lab at a university and steal some stuff. And it looks like they're trying to make a bioweapon. And because all of these security breaches are happening through the computers, that's immediately why uh, uh, Whiskey kind of goes in there to, to do all of his cyber magic. So, of course, I really love this aspect of the book, that it has a cyber agent in it already. Um, there's a lot more going on in Texas besides uh, somebody who might be trying to get a bioweapon. It turns out that that's kind of a deflection a little bit from some other stuff that's going on that will be a thread that seems to run through uh, this series of books and what actually happened to uh, Aiden's partner and uh, his husband. Uh, in the second book, uh, Jamie actually goes back to North Carolina. He actually ends up playing an alternate version of himself to go undercover and stop a gambling ring that's happening. Uh, he goes back to coach basketball and uh, Aiden goes with him undercover as his agent. Um, I liked this story in some ways even better because we got more into the computer stuff uh, because not only was the uh, the gambling program uh, obviously illegal betting in an NCAA uh, college basketball game, but it was also stealing people's personal information off of whatever device they happened to be accessing the program on. So I love all of the uh, agent work. Uh, there's... Layla creates such amazing suspense. She gives you tech stuff that I appreciate, but yet if you read it, you wouldn't go, oh God, techno babble. <laughs> you go, okay, I get what's happening here and I can move on in the story. And it's written, you know, mm-hmm. in, in that way that it doesn't put off people. Uh, the romance here is so amazing as these two deal with the fact that Aiden's not quite ready for something. But he is kind of ready to get on with his life with also the overriding concept that FBI agents aren't supposed to fraternize with each other, uh, especially if they're partners. So there's there's that element to it that if they get caught, they're potentially, you know, at risk for their careers. 
But the the romance stuff just crackles. I mean, every time that they call each other either Irish or whiskey, just you just feel kind of what's there uh, between them, and it, it's more than just you know calling out for somebody. Uh, by a nickname, because uh, for Jameson, Whiskey is his actual basketball nickname, because obviously of his name as Jameson Walker connects right to that uh, Whiskey. Um, I think there's at least three other books in this series right now. I think that's up to five, and I kind of need to read all of them, like, right now. <laughs> Layla does a great job of pulling you right into that next book without making you feel completely like you've you've gone over a cliff with a cliffhanger too, uh, which I think is a, a really cool uh, kind of tactic to have for these kind of books. Um, so I think I'll end up going back to the other ones pretty soon because I went from one to two just immediately uh, before taking a brief pause. So Layla's actually going to be on the show uh, in a few weeks uh, in July because she's got a book coming out that's a spinoff of this series uh, with a uh, kidnap and recovery uh, agent who shows up in uh, Cast's cask strength so look forward to talking to her about that new book plus these books as well cool so yeah i think you should definitely read these at some point because awesome. they're, they're a ton of fun i'll have to give them a try now if single malt and cask strength sound interesting to you all you have to do is go to the show notes page at biggayfictionpodcast.com we have all the necessary links that you need to find these books now whenever you use the links on the show notes page uh, and purchase said books, uh, a few pennies come our way. And that helps keep the lights on at the Big Gate Fiction Podcast. <laughs> and you can always support the show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, your pledge helps pay the cost of producing and distributing this show. And for fans who pledge at our silver and gold levels, you'll have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests. And we've got some great ones coming up this month. Now, all patrons also have the option to have a personalized thank you sent directly from us to them. Also, any month that our pledges cover the monthly production costs, will produce a special bonus episode, especially for our patrons. Yes. Now, if you are interested in anything that I just said, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at Facebook.com slash Big Gay Fiction Podcast and see what we get up to next. So a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to speak with Charlie David. Uh, I reviewed his show, Shadowlands, a couple of episodes back, and it was exciting to get to talk to him about this brand new show. I'm thrilled to welcome Charlie David back to the podcast. Charlie is a storyteller who was last here in episode 33, talking about his book and movie Mulligans. His new anthology series, Shadowlands, recently premiered on Out TV in Canada and on Vimeo Worldwide. Charlie, thanks so much for coming back. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely. <laughs> Shadowlands is... I'll go with interesting anthology series. You've got three very diverse stories going on in here. Uh, tell us what the what the series is about. Mm -hmm. Well, in the in the book in the anthology of short stories, there's actually around uh, I think probably lucky thirteen stories uh, in it, and. 
for me, it was really an, an exercise in, in writing and exploring and certainly exploring some of the darker recesses of my mind because it was quite a departure from something like my earlier books of Boy Mid-Flight or, or Mulligans, which were more straightforward, um, either family drama or kind of MM romance type of situation. So with Shadowlands, I mean, I've always loved Greek and Roman myth. And so I found a lot of inspiration for my stories through mythology. And I wanted to take some of the uh, the themes that are, are explored there and, and put them in a modern real world setting. So that was kind of the starting point. And, and then now with the, the television miniseries, what we did is we chose three of the stories from the original book, uh, to bring to the screen. And, and so looking through, I, I chose the three, um, that I found kind of the most compelling and that also were somewhat cohesive thematically. So uh, the three episodes that we look at are Narcissus, Mating Season, and Pygmalion Revisited. And to me, it's an exploration of love. In Narcissus, it's someone who has never come to grasp love. It's like everybody around this person has experienced it, is talking about it. And it's something that he's never found for himself. And he is an egomaniac and, and a narcissist. So it, it kind of has a downward spiral. Um, the second episode is called mating season. It's set in the 1950s with a sailor and his boyfriend who go out, um, hiking into the, into the woods and they're on a camping trip on that camping trip. They start to explore the idea of non-monogamy or opening their relationship, which is a big conversation for anyone. And, and certainly kind of setting it in this 1950s time, you know, had it had its own uh, interesting aspects. Um, so they meet a, a hiker in the woods, a mysterious man, and, and things kind of progress from there. And then the last episode is called Pygmalion Revisited. And in a way, it's a retelling of the myth Pygmalion and Galatia, where a, a, a sculptor falls in love with his work. And the goddess Athena takes pity on him and brings it to life. In our version, it's modern day where there's a, a painter who does work for um, churches and he's commissioned to make a painting of St. Bacchus. And uh, St. Bacchus and his partner Sergius were for a long time kind of iconic gay saints. And they were decanonized in 1969 by the Catholic Church. And so all the Altars and churches bearing their name were, were taken down. Anyway, in, in this painter's, um, so he goes home with this commission, with this idea. He starts to explore, how am I going to paint St. Bacchus? And he ends up working and reworking his deceased boyfriend into the painting. And um, so that one, it, it's kind of more of a star-crossed lovers uh, situation. And... Um, so yeah, for me, I mean, love is the most interesting topic to me to explore and its many nuances and how people approach it, what we learn from it, how we move on from it. Uh, so those were, were things that I was really excited to, to tackle in, in the miniseries. Was, what was the process that you had to go through to adapt your book to these 
short televised pieces because Narcissus and Mating Season are about 25 minutes and Pygmalion Revisited is a little longer at about 40. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, I mean, adapting a book for screen, whether it's a film or, or television, always has, uh, it's this beautiful mix of opportunity and constraint. <laughs> and certainly, you know, when working in kind of independent, certainly queer cinema and television, the constraints are often uh, budgetary, right? Because we just have fewer networks, a smaller audience to be, uh, you know, kind of marketing these uh, these things too. But um, for Pygmalion, there's actually, there's two versions. We did a 25 minute cut as well, and then the 40 minute. So the 25 minute fits your standard television half an hour with commercials. Um, but when looking at that story, I mean, the cut that you uh, presumably watched the 40 minute, um, man, like when, when I, when we put that edit together and then I spoke with the network and they said, this is great, but we really want, like we have a time slot for this show. And if we go ahead and we're going to, you know, do more episode episodes, presumably, it fits in a, in a half an hour slot. It's Sunday nights at 8 PM. It can't be now this one is 13 minutes and that one's 40 minutes or whatever. So I really like, I had to go back in and, and chop that one down to 25 minutes. And that was one of those situations of really killing your darlings as, as the saying go, you know, drowning some puppies where you go, okay, I don't want to, but I have to like remove some scenes. I have to tighten this up. And, in some ways, I feel like the 25-minute version of that is is uh, equally strong and interesting in different ways. Yeah, but that's interesting because I, I in thinking about it, I'm like, whoa, that's that's cutting half the episode nearly. Right? Yeah, it's like it's 15 minutes, and when you you know when you look at it, then you know it's like what what do you choose to remove? And what I did, I mean. When I'm writing for for screen, I'll be the first to admit that my dialogue is not necessarily, you know, the type of stuff that you would hear people talking on the street. It has, I feel like I construct uh, thoughts just the way that I think is sometimes a little bit different. And so even working with the actors, um, you know, some of it in terms of monologues, uh, in the middle of a show, that type of thing. Um, that was the place that I first started to cut and cut because I was acting in that episode as well. Some of my own lengthy speeches that. <laughs> a little self-editing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was the best place to start. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, taking, taking a book, and a short story and then, you know, making it into, into television has, has a lot of inherent challenges, but it was something that I, I got so much joy from doing, you know, I really enjoyed that process. And as I started to, to write and then think about casting and imagine these locations beyond what was, uh, explored in the book and then making it real, right? Because you can write something and when it's in a book form you can really be anywhere you want to be in a castle you want there to be a dragon you want like all that's good to go when you need to actually produce that actually you know translate that to screen 
then like I said, constraints come into play. What locations can I actually get? What can I actually afford? And so you start to make decisions um, based on those things. That's when the producer hat comes on. Um, you know, so you can tell the story the best way that you can with the resources and assets that you have available. And this isn't your first time to produce or, or to write for screen, of course. Uh, but it is your first time to direct, mm -hmm. uh, well, or scripted material at least, because you've done documentaries. Uh, what was it like for you as a as a creative to now put on this this hat you hadn't worn before? I was so excited. I was like, you know, terrifically excited to do it. While at the same time, had bouts of anxiety every night <laughs> in pre production, in production. Um, just that thought of like, can I, can I do this? Can I really pull this off? And, and thankfully I had an, you know, just such an awesome creative team. And I feel like people really, I just, I felt so lucky. Like everybody brought their a game. Everybody seemed to really care to do a good job to tell the best stories that we can. And that's, you know, truth is that's not always the case. Like oftentimes in, in any job, there's people who are just showing up. And I felt like I didn't have people who were just showing up. I had people who, you know, were working long hours, um, and, and yeah, just wanted to, you know, for whatever reason, make this, it was like, it was all of our babies. It was a, you know, a village raising a child as opposed to just me. So after I saw that happening in the first episode, I got to relax a little bit and, and everybody was very supportive in doing their jobs fantastically well so that I could focus on the directing, working with the actors and, and telling these stories. Mm -hmm. And you didn't cut yourself any slack with your director job because the very first episode you did was Pygmalion Revisited in which you also are the lead actor in it as well. Mm -hmm. Did you plan that from the get-go or is that just the way the shooting schedule sorted out? I, I did decide to do that episode first. I think partly because at the beginning it was the one that I was the most scared of. As we progressed, each episode turned out to be the one I was most scared of. <laughs> but <laughs> because each one has, you know, its own its own little challenges, right? Whether you're, you know, with mating season, shooting out in the woods, and then, you know, you're out in the elements. So whether it's the sound of cars in the distance, whether it's going to be raining, you only have so much daylight to work with. There's always, there's always challenges, right? With Narcissus, it was a bigger visual production. So making sure that we were prepared and all, all the props and costuming and all the pieces were, were, were tight. Uh, but with Pygmalion Revisited, yeah, to be acting and directing, again, I go back to my team just being so, so supportive and understanding of what that process for me needed to be when the story is like, it's, oh my God, like it's, it's an emotional roller coaster and for it to work, I really needed to be present as, as an actor for it to be believable for people to, to open their hearts and, and empathize with what was going on. Because if I didn't deliver, if I wasn't an, 
an open vessel for that story, it was really going to fall flat. And so in the moments of, of acting, I needed to put away any thought of what time is food, you know, arriving for lunch and are the trucks all outside? Are they parked correctly? And, you know, visually what's going on in the shot and blah, blah, blah. We need music at this aspect and, and just go, okay, all of that is five minutes later in this five minutes, live the scene. And I, I think you did a great job. Uh, we reviewed this a couple episodes back and the Pygmalion was heartbreaking and yet had, had joy in it uh, because of the scenes of, of when the two were together. And, mm-hmm. uh, as I told you before we started recording, I thought I think mating season's my favorite just because the, those, those two are so they're stuck. They're in the fifties, but they could just be a modern couple as well. Yeah. I think with mating season, that's an exploration of open relationships of non-monogamy, which is something that I think, you know, it's a, it's a prevalent discussion today, certainly among queer people and has been for, for a while. Um, that doesn't mean that it doesn't, uh, doesn't have its challenges and doesn't require a lot of communication to create a healthy, open relationship, you know, that works. Um, but yeah, Oscar uh, Moreno, who played Mateo, kind of the, the biker looking guy, and then Nicholas James Wilson, who played Will, the sailor. I was just so excited to create these kind of iconic looks. I wanted to give it a bit of a, you know, a Tom of Finland, like 1950s kind of beefcake magazines uh, in their, in their costuming, which was like super fun. And then, yeah, those two guys, again, they just really, they open their hearts to the stories. We had the, the luxury of, of rehearsing because as a first time director, I really, I wanted that. I didn't want to just, you know, have these actors show up on set and, and say, okay, action, go. I wanted to, you know, to make sure that we had answered any questions that we had really, exercised the scenes and so that there was a full comprehension of what was going on because um, not everybody has has also been in an open relationship or felt the motivation to to be in one or in uh, Oscar char- Oscar's character's case um, you know felt the the reticence the hesitation about what that might mean how that might translate for the relationship going forward. Um, and at the same time, you know, all of this packed in, I think it, it largely started because I had recently done a documentary called poly love all about polyamory. And it was a one hour doc where we explored that. I learned a lot in doing that. And I wanted to, you know, also explore that in a scripted form, um, and not bring any inherent judgment to it or, encouragement. I didn't want to say, yes, this is the way that we should be going forward or no, it shouldn't. Like, I think in my mind, the, the best work we can do as creators, whether it's a a book, a TV show, a movie, a painting is throw ourselves into the work and then let the audience be smart enough to, to walk away and make decisions for themselves to incite a conversation. So I hope with that episode that we will do that, that people watching will, 
you know, have a talk with their significant other or friends or whatever, and, and just consider what these ideas of relationship and love, what do they mean? Because for me, like doing the poly, uh, poly love doc, one of the things that I learned is this, this term called compersion. And what compersion is, it's kind of the opposite of, of jealousy. So normally, if my partner was to go out on a date with somebody else, I would immediately feel jealousy. And in the poly world, the idea is that jealousy isn't a real emotion. It's, it's a knee-jerk reaction to something. So you need to dig deeper to find out, why am I feeling insecure in this moment? Why... Why might this bother me? And and to work towards compersion, which is the idea that I am joyful, I am happy in your happiness. And just like, you know, we have many friends in our life in, in the best situation. Maybe there's one that we like to go to the beach with, one that we play sports with, the person that we go to the movies with, the one that, you know, we just laugh our heads off and the person that we cry, you know, on, on their shoulder when needed. And in we we put so much pressure on monogamy for that other person to be our everything right they have to give us amazing sex be our business partners in life with you know purchasing property and paying the bills and stuff together to make us laugh to be our netflix and chill to you know be the person to go to family uh events with to be our best friend all these things in one. And so I think the idea of, of compersion and non-monogamy is what if we allowed room in our hearts to enjoy other people more, not always sexually, sometimes for some people that's part of it, um, uh, but trying to, to lose that, you know, the ugly green monster inside of, of jealousy. The book's been around since about 2010. Mm -hmm. what what led you to bring this to the screen now and has it always kind of been on your radar of something to adapt yeah it's really it's been in my my drawer of ideas and scripts for for many years i think i i adapted the first probably mating season and narcissist um 2011 maybe 2012 I, I had this idea of kind of doing almost like a, a night gallery or twilight zone, a reimagining of those type of half an hour shows where each episode we get to go into a different world, a new world of characters and, and uh, kind of intrigue and explore that. And I had actually had offers um, from different networks in the States and, and Canada um, back around that time. But the the offers that were coming forward were just um they were very they would be very challenging budget wise um and things just didn't line up at the the right time uh a very common thing in production is you have an american network and a canadian network or often a european one especially license fees from broadcasters have been shrinking over the past 10 years dramatically because of things like Netflix and, you know, other, other ways of consuming our entertainment, um, that it's becoming more and more necessary to kind of clobber together a budget on a show from many different financial partners. Um, and so early on it was like, I'd get an offer here, but the other network wasn't ready or 
tax credits couldn't be triggered because of X, Y, and Z. Um, and so it just kind of all came together. Uh, I guess I signed the deal in 2016, the end of 2016, got the green light to make the show. Um, and then spent last year, 2017, making it. And now, now we're releasing it. And that's, that's often the reality of, uh, of any show, um, that it can take years, years in development, years in kind of like putting together the budget and for just all those pieces to come together magically at the right moment. So, um, I was, yeah, really excited. It did, it did kind of feel like, oh my God, that's, it's been eight years now that we're, you know, finally putting this out. Um, but yeah, sometimes that is just the, the nature of the beast as it were. As a creator that works in television slash movies quite often, do you find it a, a, a I don't know if I want to go with easier or better landscape to work in now that there is Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and like all of these places where you could put your material out or is it just as tough as it ever was to pull it all together to actually create it? It's harder than ever before. That's, that's the truth. And, um, there's many, uh, many factors involved in that in a nutshell it's that we consume entertainment differently. Just like the internet has erupt, um, interrupted so many kind of business models, including, including books, including music, television, travel industry, healthcare, on and on and on, we're continuing to have to adapt faster and faster. But we live in a world where we now, we have the assumption of free video. We have the assumption of free entertainment and if not free, then $9.99 a month for as much as we can consume. So when you split $9.99 amongst the amount of shows on a platform like a Netflix or an Amazon Prime or whatever, what trickles down to the content creator is literally fractions of pennies um, per view. So compare that to... 10 years ago when people were buying DVDs and it was 1999, a DVD or 2499 MSRP. Um, so we're having to hustle harder than ever in one way we have, yes, more, more places to put our, our content, more opportunity for audience in a way, but, um, monetizing that is a, totally different story. And even, you know, what, even three years ago, people were more apt to use VOD video on demand and, and purchase rentals on an iTunes or an Amazon or a Vimeo. Now, even that market is like rapidly disintegrating where we just have the assumption of SVOD subscription video on demand, watch as much as I want for a small fee or FVOD free video on demand. So, as a as a producer, that's um, that's the new challenge, and it exists for every broadcaster out there too. People are seeing, you know, broadcasters. People are cutting their cable everywhere and going to the internet. So it's it's the wild west, and it's okay. How do we now? How do we protect copyright mm-hmm. if that's important, right? And. And that's a huge debate that's going on, even like the internet, 
one side is that the internet should be the wild west and everything should be free and you know free speech and blah 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 and then on the other side is but how do we protect creators because it's still taboo to go and shoplift at a store it's still taboo i would never you know walk on a, a car sales lot and drive away without paying but it feels fine to not pay for television films it's it's common dinner conversation right so that's does that's it help the in the case of, of shadowlands that it does have the the connection to out tv that there's an actual broadcast cable network who who is partner oh. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't have done it with without out TV. It would be impossible to not impossible. It would be very difficult to make scripted programming or literally any programming without without a commissioning broadcaster or platform partner. And sometimes that is, you know, could be an Amazon or a Netflix, but somebody's got to pay for it because the the audience has become more hesitant to. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, in, in the case of Shadowlands, it was, uh, a mix of a license fee from, um, from out TV in Canada, some tax credit money and a personal investment. And those were split almost one third, you know, a third from me, a third from what will end up being tax credit money, a third from broadcaster. And, um, so now, you know, it's it's up to recoup my investment through through people hopefully enjoying the show, buying the show, um, and maybe if we're lucky, selling to some other networks down the line. Mm-hmm. Is there a so, chance for more yeah. episodes? Yeah, for sure. Right now, um, so the show just premiered last night on OutTV, and so just like in the old days, we'll be looking at those Nielsen ratings and okay. you know, seeing how it lands and even that that's a model that's like you know it's really changed because yeah some people get the cable channel out tv also has an out um sorry an svod platform it's kind of like a gay now netflix it's called out tv go and so on out tv go it is that netflix model of watching as much gay content as as you want right and it's 4.99 a month so it's a little bit of a <laughs> a sale from Netflix. Um, so you're, yeah, you're combining those numbers. How many people are watching on OutTV Go? How many people are watching on OutTV the channel? And and hopefully there is enough uh, enough buzz and interest that that will help trigger more episodes. I loved directing and producing scripted. I really want to do more. It challenged me in in so many ways that just kind of ignited the fire in me again, you know, after doing documentary is wonderful. I love doc. Um, you know, I'm doing some other reality stuff, a dating show. I have a pilot for a a cooking show coming up. Um, and that stuff is, is fun, but it's inherently different. Like when you're doing documentary, I'm going to do an interview with you and I show up and what your office or home or what your environment is. I might judge it a little bit, but it still needs to reflect you and be your space. Whereas with scripted, it's literally everything that's in that frame. I need to have thought of and planned. And, and so that, that to me is exciting. Every little prop, every, every, you know, um, piece of costuming, the blocking of it, the lighting, it's, um, it just has, uh, 
yeah, more more challenges, but more more payoff for me as a as a creator. Yeah, and again, I mean, the same way that you you challenged yourself first time director having to direct yourself, you also gave yourself three massively different stories. They all had a different look, a different emotional feel, a different color palette, different setting. And uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that part, I mean, you know, that, and that's why things like sitcom or, you know, shows that are, um, uh, episodic are, are easier to do because you, you have the friend's apartment and most, most things happen either at the coffee shop downstairs, central perk or, <laughs> in one of the apartments, right? Your sets are are set. They are what they are. You pay for them once and, and that's it. Whereas in a show like this, yeah, moving forward, it's like, okay, every new episode is a whole new world. So where is that world set? What does it look like? New casting every time. So, um, but for me, the, the financial kind of offset of doing that is is that you know it's super fun to work with new actors every time it's super fun to like create a new a new world a new location and and also like in you know in these first three to dive into different eras to play in like kind of you know a fantastical version of what i imagine the 19 you know 20s might have felt like in, in narcissist versus that the 1950s and then the the modern day episodes so i think in a way this um you know this first mini season of, of shadowlands was me stretching my muscles as a producer and director in scripted and just seeing let's see how different we can make these and and play in these different spaces how fast did you shoot these three mm. uh each one was uh, Pygmalion Revisited, I think we had seven shooting days, and the other two episodes were five five shooting days each. So, which is actually a fairly kind of standard and, you know, healthy amount of time for, an, for a half an hour um, television scripted. So, I mean, you know, lots of reality shows will shoot in a day or two days. Um, and not to say that that was easy, because, you know, just even based on how you write, whether it's night or day, how much is night, how much is day. And then like on Narcissus, we had a lot of night stuff. So then you're, you know, we're shooting in the summer. That means we can't start shooting until it's like eight thirty, nine o'clock until we have like dark, dark. Yeah. And, and you're shooting through until, you know, five thirty in the morning. Um, which makes for a tired crew. <laughs> and even with mating season, you're outdoors the whole time, and you you, you got to hope you match your continuity. From you know, if the clouds suddenly showed up, yeah, and that's it. Like there's the one scene where there's the three guys. They're kind of perched up on uh, a cliff, and they're they're looking out. And one of the guys is telling the story of how he got his blue ticket, which was something that happened to uh, military people in the past where, you know, if your sexuality was found out, you'd be given a blue ticket, which was a dishonorable discharge. And that scene, it was like rain, shine, sprinkle, rain, shine. We actually had to go back three days in a row to try and match because we had, you know, kind of a three shot of the three of them. Everybody has a close up 
none of it was matching. And then finally on the third day we got it, but that's something that, you know, when you're on a tight schedule and a tight budget, that's really challenging because then you need to like make pickups, make room in the schedule on another day to go back to something. And there was another day that was like a total, a total rain out was forecast. And so I was back at the crew houses cause we were all, most of us are from Toronto, but we were shooting about two and a half hours from here. And so rented a bunch of houses in this little town. And I was like, can I make a tent in the living room of one of these and <laughs> shoot the things that happened in the tent? Can we, can we recreate that indoors? Because otherwise, what are we going to do? We can't, you know, it's not going to make sense to walk around in the rain. Um, just in terms of, protection of the gear, you know, for the actors. So, um, luckily I was probably up till 2 AM that night, rescheduling everything, trying to figure out, okay, we're building this tent, but not that much happens in the tent. So what else can we do indoors? Not a lot in that episode. Not in that, so, not in that episode. <laughs> no. So you really, you know, you, when you choose to do something outdoors, you're really at the whim of, of mother nature and, you just got to cross your fingers and hope for the best. Makes the writing thing seem really easy in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, it all starts with story, right? And if you don't have a good story, it's definitely not worth putting on, you know, going to the trouble of putting it on screen. And And we know those stories both, you know, when we're a writer as well as when we're reading the ones that kind of move us and touch us and, and that you come back to and you think about, you know, a day after or a week after, um, as opposed to, you know, film TV or books where you walk away and you feel nothing. I think that's the, the worst thing that could happen, you know, like even if, even if somebody hates a show that I've done or they were, grossed out or something makes them angry about it. If this open relationship conversation makes them angry for some reason, I feel like I've done my job, you know? Um, that to me is almost like equal to a compliment because I, I provoked you to, to think I moved you in some way. Yeah. The worst thing would be that. Eh. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants, uh, eh. <laughs> now, you got a, a very generous discount you're offering our listeners. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so on um, on Vimeo, because I know a lot of your listeners are are going to be U.S. based as well as you know worldwide. Not not all Canadians, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I wanted to make the show available on Vimeo worldwide. And so, if people rent or buy it there using the promo code Border to Border they'll get a 25% discount. And that's the name of my company, B-O-R-D-E-R, -E the number two, and then border again um, for, for that discount. And beyond beyond that, if if people are interested to to take a watch, and I hope that that they will, um, I mean it's super helpful if if you review and rate it, you know, on Amazon, on Vimeo, if you have a blog, if you have a podcast, you know, um, because that's that's the best uh, best marketing that we can have is is word of mouth. And again, even if you hate it, 
that's fine. Tell me why, you know, I'd love to, to get into those conversations and they're already starting, which is really fun. People who have started to, to, uh, to check it out and who are tweeting and Facebooking now and, um, saying what they liked, what they didn't like. And, and it's interesting, like for you, you really gravitated to the mating season episode. Other people loved narcissists. I've had other emails where people said, I didn't stop crying for half an hour in Pygmalion. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's going to, I think this is the, this is the super exciting point as, as a show creator where you finally get to share with the audience and, and find out what you've been creating in kind of a cocoon for, you know, well over a year, eight years, if we want to go all the way back to the book release (laughs) and, and start to hear, um, yeah, other people's takes on on your work. Now, you've mentioned a little bit through the interview some things you've been working on, like the dating show and a cooking show. What do fans get to look forward to you? Look forward to like in the very near future from you? Uh, well, in the very near future, we have the the Poly Love documentary about polyamory and non monogamy. That's going to be dropping on Amazon and uh, Vimeo and other platforms in uh, probably in the next couple months. The dating show is called Dating Unlocked, and that will also be launching probably in July. Um, and I have a, a one-hour documentary called Drawn This Way, which is two hilarious comedians kind of roasting and also exploring queer representation in comic books, superhero movies, uh, and animation historically. So that was... Uh, uh, really fun to shoot, and and then a second season of my scandalous series Pop Porn, which we've done a first season of six episodes, and we're prepping right now to do an additional ten episodes. And Pop Porn is comedians roasting gay porn scenes, so <laughs> not so much the the adult action, but all the the setups, the ridiculous setups. And as a lot of adult companies are doing parodies nowadays, there is so much material to work with. And, and I think we do it in a pretty, you know, jocular, lighthearted way. We don't hit too hard. Uh, but yeah, Popcorn is available now, the first season on uh, Amazon and Vimeo and OutTV um, and some other places. So I, that's another one I'd love to, you know, for people to check out and review and write and let me know your thoughts. Did we go too far? (laughs) Should we go further? (laughs) I would have to check that out. I I had not heard of that previously and that sounds like a lot of fun. (laughs) It was so much fun to shoot. We shot for, um, just over a week, the first, uh, the first season, basically one episode a day in green screen studio and um yeah we just laughed we laughed our butts off we laughed till we were you know crying at these comedians so um yeah i'm excited to go back and and have that laughing exercise again for a new 10 episodes coming up fantastic we'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes for what's currently available so folks can go find it thank you so much what's the best way for people to keep up with everything that you're doing i think probably um I'm fairly active on my blog, which is on border to border.ca or charliedavid.com. 
either one of those. So I'm regularly blogging. Um, I'm also on Twitter and, and Facebook. So those are probably the most active. If you like video, then you can check out my uh, YouTube channel, which is Mr. Charlie David. Cool. We'll link up to those as well. Charlie, thank you so much for coming back and talking to us. It's been awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate the time and your, your interest in what I'm creating. So glad that Charlie was able to come back on the show and talk about this uh, new project. Uh, that boy's so busy. He's got so much stuff going on. He really is. It's amazing to listen to him rattle off everything that he's got kind of happening right now and that he wants to you know, get going in the future. Uh, quickly to remind everybody, he does have a discount code for our listeners. You can get 25% off uh, when you use the promo code border to border. That's border number two border for a rental or purchase of the Shadowlands miniseries on Vimeo. Mm -hmm. I think that'll do it for this week's episode. Coming up next week in episode 141, Seth King joins us to discuss his latest book, Who's Your Daddy? Ooh. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to talking to him this week about that book. Okay, guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, guys, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 